You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Friday. Listener questions live. John Sharon, Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you. It's been a gigantic past couple of weeks for the podcast channel, whether it's our own show, having Richmond Webb and Mike Daniels on the program, or Orange is the New Black, Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, a ton of big guests. It's been a big week, and we're uh, we're continuing our pre-draft coverage by answering your questions. John, what's going on, man? Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday to you as well. Two weeks until the draft feels like it's been a minute since we since we've done this. I don't know about you. Like the last two three weeks have felt like two to three years, maybe because of certain conversations that we've had. But <laughs> I guess that's how it always is before the draft. But it's it's nice to get one of these under our belts before the draft. It, totally, and you know it's weird. We're gonna get to to some questions we've already got, and then we'll we'll let you know how you can get in touch with us, and we'll get we'll get rolling here in just a sec. But it is a little odd. I mean, it's. The Bengals are, in a way, kind of in a, a win-win-win situation at number five. I mean, they're poised to basically, if things fall the way that a lot of people think they will, they're poised to take one of, if not the best non-quarterback in the draft. And that's that's kind of what they need, given that they got Joe Burrow. And then there's this kind of dividing line uh, amongst a lot of people in the fan base in terms of who they want, who they think they should take at number five. But I'm sure we'll talk more about that. We've got a lot of other stuff queued up. Before we get started, want to let you know, we've got a bunch, a bunch of live ways you can uh, get in touch with us in terms of chats, whether that's on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, the live YouTube chat. If you want to uh, get in touch with us via Twitter, there's a live chat function on the Cincy Jungle post. So get in touch with us there. You can call or text 949-542-6241. That's available uh, for you as well as email theobinsider at gmail.com. We're going to hear uh, from our sponsor in just a little bit, but let's get let's get kicked off here, John. I guess I will start it off here with a text from Brandon. Should the Bengals pursue recently released defensive lineman Maurice Hurst of the Raiders, a big guy, pretty productive guy. I think he had a pretty good PFF score, if I remember correctly. But um, the, the Raiders have just been shedding all kinds of veterans off their roster this offseason. Is that a guy that you think the Bengals should pursue heading into the draft, maybe opening up the BPA options for him? 100% yes, with the obvious caveat. Like, we have to remember that Maurice Hurst was this potential first, second round pick back in 2018. And he fell in the draft like the fifth round because he had this heart condition that uh, mm-hmm. I believe like even Michigan knew about, like something with the EKG that, that picked up there. And no one was really sure what how severe it was. 
and that's why he ultimately fell to where he was. But he's been in the league for three years now, and he's developed as as a solid starting defensive tackle. He's got one year left on his deal. Now, it, he was waived by the Raiders, so whoever claims him, if he does get claimed in that time, they take on the last year of his contract, I believe, because of, of performance escalators. He'll be in the range of like $2 million for this year in terms of what his salary cap number would be. But a one-year deal for $2 million for one of the better young you know, starting level defensive tackles, 100%. Like we know that they're going to be interested in that position in the draft. And you might as well, if, if the guy is healthy, if his heart is fine, yeah. it's number one priority. Like we want to make sure that he's okay. And, you know, I, I don't understand why they cut him unless it's something to do with that. So the fact that he's available on the waiver wire in the first place is sort of a mystery. And it's a little bit uneasy considering that that was a thing. But if he's 100% fine, absolutely put in a claim form. I agree with you. He's a player that, you know, uh, could could bring a lot of value up front. The Bengals have been looking to get some talented young players to add to that defensive front. We talked about that the other day. And the, the one question I have with Maurice Hurst, you know, basically in the in the first three seasons he has played in the NFL, he's had one year where he's played in all 16 games. First year he played in 13, started 10. Second year, played all 16, started four. Uh, Last year, only played in 11, started three. He did have a good PFF score, though, John, as I mentioned, just under 78 overall score in those 11 games. So, I mean, he's productive when he's in there. He's a a force when he's in there. And I think, you know, as as Lou Anarumo and and whatnot, as they want to rotate guys in and out and make, make different things happen up front, Probably, you know, this could be a guy you can throw into the mix, affordable deal, kind of like you said, and, and could be a valuable piece. 100%. Let's go to you, Facebook, James Holly in the comments section. Do you, you guys think that the Bengals make any more moves before the draft? Um, I, don't, I don't think so, Anthony. How about you? Unless it is a Maurice Hurst. Yeah, that would be the only one. That would be, and, and this is a, a good segue from our first question, that would be the only one that I think right now that would make sense because I think what's coming now, and, and the reason why a Hurst signing would would come right now is because he would be on the you know the waiver wire thing. He's not just a, a you know a street free agent at the at the time being where they can kind of put feelers out there right away. It's you know it's kind of a thing where if you want him right now, you kind of got to move on him on the waiver wire situation. And then if he doesn't get picked up off waivers, then he's kind of a street free agent thing. So my my take on that is that would that would be the only guy that would I would think that they would maybe rush for before the draft. I think there's probably going to be some more signings after the draft to see which positions they didn't maybe round out the way they wanted to. Maybe they didn't get certain players they were specifically targeting in the draft and they want to round out the roster in certain areas. You know, Mike Daniels was a was a post-draft signing last year who ended up coming in and contributing to the team. So I see kind of some more moves like that after the draft, once they kind of reassess where the roster is at with the draft class. Like we're getting comments about Nick Easton, the guy from the New Orleans Saints, who I believe the Bengals had interest in. Like there's no rush to sign Nick Easton. No one, no one is signing up right now and like banging on Nick Easton's door to go get him. Like he'll be available after the draft. And after the draft, I believe the Tuesday after the draft is when the timeline for the compensatory pick, um, type situation to be locked in for the 2022 season so you know there's no rush to sign guys even Trey Turner for that for that case as well like they can wait as long as they want and if they still feel inclined to add a player at that position they can do that without um, negating that third round potentially third round compensatory pick for Carl Lawson next year so 
this is this is one from Mark Fry on the live Cincy Jungle feed on the post there that we have. Does the return of Frank Pollock as O-line coach mean a more balanced offense between the run and pass game this coming season? Great question. And I, I think the bigger question too, John, is how big of a cure-all is Frank Pollock? I think we all have high, high hopes for him. He has a good resume as an NFL position coach. That you know, the issue is the Bengals signed Quentin Spain and Riley Reef, those and they signed them to play positions that were kind of their Achilles heel up front on the offensive line, but they still didn't. It's not something that necessarily moved the needle a ton. Obviously, the Bengals will address offensive line in the NFL draft probably pretty early. Again, though, you know, does it mean a more balanced offense? How big of an effect is do you think Frank Pollock has to mask some of the deficiencies they have up front? Nobody wants to be unbalanced. Let's just <laughs> like I feel it's it's such a weird conversation with this because people think, oh, the teams that throw a lot, you know, they're always bad. Why do you think they're throwing a lot? Because teams throw to score and they run the ball when the game is already settled. That's where you get those deceiving type of records when teams run like 25 or more attempts like every team wants to run the ball well but that's not the most efficient way to score so at the end of the day like the good the really good teams like those prime Patriots teams they always had a balanced running and and passing type of game script because they were successful throwing the ball and they could just run the ball without worrying about scoring like that's just what the data tells us that's what we see with our eyeballs that's 100% what it is. Like, I, th- I think any team would love to just run the ball as much as they want, but there's a reason why that doesn't always win games. It's because it, it's hard to score that way. So with Frank, it was, it was. I think it's his return has always been about improving the, the, the teaching aspect of the offensive line coach, p- coaching position. Like, they're obviously not getting a lot of great production out of those guys and their development because the previous offensive line coach was just terrible at his job. That is what Frank Pollock was in there for. And most offensive line coaches in general are the, are the run game coordinators anyway. So it's not like this is some revolutionary type of thing. But no, I think as long as the passing game is, is as good as they expect it to be with Joe Burrow and the, this new upcoming trio of receivers, like, yeah, you'll see a, a naturally more balanced offense because they're not going to be playing from behind all the time and having to throw the ball six times a game, which is what we saw kind of last year. The, you know, you bring up a really good point about the, you know, nobody wants an imbalanced team. Everybody wants to be able to run the football. And really this team just performs better when they're able. I mean, look at the Jacksonville game. And granted, Jacksonville wasn't a great opponent last year, but they were able to run the football. They were able to pass the football effectively. And lo and behold, they had one of their best performances of the year last year and, and got their first win. So, you know, I, I, that's what I hope is is the Frank Pollock effect. You know, if, if they get – this line to be performing, you know, in that top half of the league. Awesome. And if you get to have a reliable run, not, not necessarily a world beating running game, but a run game where you go, Hey, you know, Joe Mixon's back on that thousand yard pace, that four plus yards per carry you're, you're you have, I think part of the problem last year. And, and I was thinking about this recently, part of the problem with Joe Burrow getting hit so often, Joe Burrow, um, you know, getting potentially injured and just, you know, the ineffectiveness of the team getting wins and, and all of that is just the predictability of the fact that they had to throw the ball 40 times, 50 times a game quite, quite frequently. And, you know, they just didn't, they weren't able to run the ball. And so they, they had, they had their hand tipped to the defense and it was just kind of tee off time. So I, it, and, and I think that while we all want effective offensive line players, some good rookies to come in, I think, 
the, the teaching aspect, the, the coaching up aspect that you mentioned of Frank Pollock, I think being that, that effect and being able to utilize the run game a bit more effectively creating that balance. I think, I think that may mask some of the, the deficiencies you have up front, just being able to run the ball, you know, whether that's concocting good schemes and, um, you know, exploiting weaknesses of, of the opposing defenses on that, on that front, that's, that's where I think is is key going forward here is is finding that that balance. Yeah, you want Joe Burrow, you want the ball in his hands, you want him to to make plays, but you also got to have some form of balance going forward. John, we've got a call from uh, Andre on the on the line. Andre, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing I'm doing good. Thanks for calling. What's going on? Yeah, I've been listening to you guys for a couple years now. Uh, you guys do an awesome job. Look forward to listening to you guys every week. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, so is it safe to say, I, uh, leading up until very recently, I've been more leaning towards uh, Sewell. I've been open to the open to the thought of drafting uh, Chase or Pitts more recently. With uh, Jonah Williams the past two years, you know, ending the year hurt two years in a row. Um, and then when he played last year, he looked real pedestrian to me. No, nobody really wants to admit that, but he at times got outplayed by Adenogy, who was a six-round pick. I, you know, so even when he played, he looked very average to me. Um, so all the way across the line with older guys on one-year deals and some guys kind of on the decline, like Riley Reef. I mean, he was okay last year. He, he's better than Bobby Hart, but he was just okay. Is it safe to say we literally have a question mark at every single spot on the offensive line? Hmm. I, it's, I mean, I guess you could, I know John has some thoughts there too. I, I think you could put, put it that way. It's just a matter of how big of a question mark there is. I mean, if you look at, I mean, ostensibly right now, I mean, you look at in some way, you have Jonah Williams, you have Quentin Spain, hopefully Trey Hopkins coming back from that injury starting week one, uh, probably Suofilo, unless there's a draft pick there that comes in and, and wants, you know, is able to start right away. And then you've got, um, Riley Reef there at the other tackle spot. So yeah, there, I mean, there are questions at each. It's just a matter of how big I know. And I think John and I are in agreement and I'll let him extrapolate on this a little bit further. I, I, I liked what I saw from Jonah Williams last year. And you have to remember that yes, the injury stuff is, is concerning, but I mean, that was essentially his rookie campaign and it was one where there was no training camp, no preseason. And I know John, you've got some thoughts on that. For the offensive line coach that they had, Jonah Williams was absolutely incredible last year the fact that he was as productive as he was as an above average left tackle and that's that's the objective assessment in no way shape or form did Akeem energy ever outplay Jonah Williams and I'm not even sure where you're getting up with that but no Jonah Williams is fine he's the left tackle of the future Riley Reef is still an above average right tackle yeah he's old and he might not be more effective for another year or so but that that's fine he's much better than who they had at Bobby Hart one of Xavier Suofilo and Quinn Spain is going to be fine a left guard that's going to be a battle and one of them is going to be okay. And that's all you really need at that spot. Once Trey Hopkins comes back, he's still in a league average center, which is all you need right there. The biggest hole right now, the the actual question mark that they have is the right guard spot because they have no natural player there. And you, you're damn right they're going to address that in the draft sometimes. So I, I, I'm not entirely sure where you're getting four question marks there, but I think that's a little bit unfair for that. Well, Andre, thanks for the call, man. Uh, appreciate all the support. Good question. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you after the draft and um, have a good weekend, man.
Hey, Terrell, Terrell's my cousin. I know he's listening ah, right now. No nice. way. Nice. <laughs> Keeping it in the family. I love it. <laughs> Tell him what's up. Okay, All right, you too, man. Thank you. Uh, keeping it in the family. I love it. I love it. Uh, before we get to some more questions, John, do we want to talk about Symbol, our new partner that we have joined up with this season? Absolutely. If you guys don't know what Symbol is, it's very simple. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams just like stocks. It's quite literally that easy. You sign up, you have this entire list of sports teams, they all have attached to it a stock price. You invest in that team, and if the team does well or the team does bad over a period of time, that price changes. You can either profit or, you know, might not be the best investment, but you guys know which teams are good and bad, and if you want to utilize and leverage that knowledge of those sports teams, Symbol is the market to put where your money, where your mouth is, without, mind you, without the high fees and high losses of gambling. And you can use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high, earn cash payouts when your teams win, it really is that easy. All you have to do is go to www.symbol.app. That's www.simbull.app. And you can visit the link in our description, symbol.app backslash OBI. When you click that link, make sure to use the promo code OBI to get a $10 deposit bonus when you sign up with, with your first deposit. Or Right now, the symbol, I believe, price for the Bengals is around 20 or so dollars. Mm-hmm. That price is going to go up when the Bengals draft Jabbar Chase probably in the first round. You know, might, might as well just get in on that before that happens because we know that the, that the price is going to go up. So symbol.app backslash OBI. Use the promo code OBI for your $10 off on your first deposit. Good stuff. Get on it now, as John mentioned, right before the draft because, you know, that needle's going to move up. And, you know, hopefully the Bengals do some things that, that make us all happy and proud. But uh, good stuff there. Yeah, get that deposit bonus. We're going to keep it rolling here. We've got a lot more to get to. John, I believe it's your turn. I've, I've already got a few I've got my eye on here, but where do you want to go next? Hmm, I wanted to go back a couple minutes. I believe there's one in the Facebook section. Jesus, that was a, quite a long time ago. No, actually, let's go to, to Jeff uh, Trenopool, our good boy, Strawberry Sports Advice. Strawberry Ice with Sports with Strawberry Ice. My God. Um, What's up, guys? Do you think that they will draft a running back in the late rounds to try and replace Geo? Yeah, that um, yeah I, I think that is a position that they're going to look at sort of kind of late in the draft. It could be as high as the fourth or fifth round, but I, I believe they will come out of the draft with a running back. Are there any names that, that you have looked at in terms of mock drafts and in terms of like that range that do you think the Bengals could be interested in? I, I have to look more. I, that's, that's a position group. I haven't really done my due diligence to, to be quite honest with you. I don't want to sit here and BS the, the people here, but as we get closer, we're going to be doing some more prospect profiles, especially on our YouTube channel and, and on our weekly show. So we're going to do a, a few more of those, but that is a position group that I, um, I was, I, we're going to start doing some more homework on because I, I do think like you, I think day three, there's probably going to be someone there now. I mean, the Bengals have tried, they they had Rodney Anderson. I had high hopes for that kid. I know he was coming off an injury and he looked great in a couple of preseason games. Unfortunately, that just never worked out. He got hurt again. Uh, Travion Williams, you know, he's flashed a little bit in limited time, but I, I'm, I'm interested. Samaj P Ryan played well at the end of last year. I'm interested to see if they do draft a kid, what kind of profile that player is last year, John, if you remember, I really wanted the Bengals to take a, take a shot on Antonio Gibson, a guy you can play at wide out, do a little running back work, just kind of a versatile weapon type of guy, have some fun with it. And 
I don't know if that's the the type of player that, you know, a versatile pass catching type of guy. I don't know if they're going to look for someone to replace Gio in that mold and just kind of have a, a less expensive version of him somehow in, in that mold or kind of a grinder big back. Um, you know, there, there was a back from Oklahoma. I, I took a quick look at that's entering the draft that could, should be a day three prospect. He's kind of, you know, they, they seem to like those Oklahoma backs and, and how they fit their scheme. So, um, you know, I, I, that's, that's something I, I do think that they will probably take one on day three. Unfortunately, I got to do more homework on this admittedly and, and give you some names, but I would not be surprised if that's in the mix in the draft class. I had someone tell me that the Bengals have had multiple com- conversations with Chris Evans, the running back out of Michigan, who kind mm. of fits the size profile that they would look for. And I think in the fifth or sixth round, that's a name that we should probably keep an eye on. Yep. I'm going to go here, John. And this is someone who is near and dear to this guy's heart. Hey, Nick. Yeah, the OG the, of the greatest Bengals podcast inside the jungle and formerly who day weekly great guy nick hope you're doing well he's he's holding it down on the the cincy soccer talk side so he does a lot of fc cincinnati stuff great guy saying ac why should the Bengals stay at five why not trade back accumulate more picks they could use a lot better a lot a lot more of the better players well the my my thing with it john i i, I like theoretically the idea of moving back because I don't, I mean, I know a lot of people have their faction of Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell and, and some even like Kyle Pitts. I, I mean, for me, the level between who I prefer there isn't really that large. And if you're, and I still think there's a lot of holes on this roster. If you're able to move back a little bit and still get one of those blue chip players, I'm for that. But if you move too far back and you're not able to get one of those blue chip players, then I think you've really kind of screwed yourself as a team. You got to land one of those two or three guys. And, and if you're able to do that and accumulate more picks, I, I can see the logic there, but at this, at the same point, if, if you're the Bengals and on your draft board, you have say, you know, everybody thinks they're going to be drafting Jamar chase now reading the tea leaves and, and all of that. If you have, if you're the Bengals and you have Jamar chase leaps and bounds above everybody and you're sitting at five and he's there, then you got, you got to take that guy and, you know, sacrifice the picks. So, this team for too long has moved back and sacrificed the ability to take blue chip players, better players to accumulate more picks and just kind of get guys that hang onto the roster. I don't want that for this team. I want blue chip players, guys who will really, really transform this team. That's, that's my, my thinking. I do get the logic here though. I, I get the logic because there is plenty of support for that logic. Whereas like it doesn't matter so much you know, the player that you pick as long as it's not a quarterback, like you're you're gonna get similar value for these other positional players that aren't quarterbacks. It's just that with the Bengals specifically, it's been it's been very hit or miss whether or not those tradebacks have been worth it. We can look at in the second round from a couple of years ago when they traded back and took Jesse Bates. And in that same draft, they technically traded back in the first round and missed down to Fred Ragno and breached mm-hmm. for the price, right? So, yeah. like, like there's a, there's a reason why the Bengals do not trade that much in the first round. Like, Billy, that, that year was an exception. I believe Kevin Zeiler was an, was an exception in 2012 when they traded back with their other first round pick that season. They don't, they, they just don't move that often in the first round. And I think because they're just comfortable just taking a player that they're really confident in because for a long time, that was their only avenue in terms of adding high quality talent. They didn't utilize free agency for that. And now we're kind of seeing that shift a little bit, but I don't think we're seeing the shift in the draft philosophy as well. So it didn't surprise me when Duke Tobin said like, it's, it's not likely that they're, that we're going to trade back a, a 
good amount Mm -hmm. out of the number five spot because they're really comfortable being there with all those quarterbacks going before them and having potentially the chance to take the the top player on their board. So like from their perspective, like it it makes total sense because that's just what they're comfortable with. But I, I do understand Nick's point of view, because if you trade back and you use those picks wisely and you get multiple good players instead of just one great player, then the betterment it, it increases the betterment of your team overall because you're filling more spots with more quality players, but you have to trust yourself that you're going to use those picks wisely. And I don't know if the Bengals do trust themselves enough when they have a blue chip <laughs> player standing there staring them in the face. Yeah. I mean, it, it just speaks to even the, the divisiveness of what the bank, you know, so many people want the dominant offensive lineman. A lot of people want the dominant wide receiver. And it's kind of like, well, the point is the Bengals technically need both. Right. I mean, they, they, they need both going forward. And th- that's why this idea of getting more picks makes a lot of sense. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that the Bengals stay put. We'll talk more about that. We've got some more questions, but good to hear from Nick from inside the jungle, the the OG, the greatest Bengals podcast there. And since uh, he soccer talk, Nick, I'll, I'll see you when we kick kick uh, inside the jungle back up, buddy. Uh, good to hear from you. Where are we going next, John? wanted to go to the comments section on cincyjungle.com. A guy named Bill Shamley. He's asking, how many wins will Zach Taylor need this year to ensure that he is retained as head coach? Do we have to be above 500, merely improve, or do you think he sticks around no matter what? So, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that one again? I was trying to find it. Um, yeah, he was asking, like, what does Zach Taylor have to do this uh, year to, to keep his job? Right, 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 right. Uh, I, I think... I mean, number one, just improvement in the win-loss column, obviously. Now, what that I, – I, I think now it's going to be especially interesting because the extra game on the on the schedule there. So how does that play out? Do do teams end up um, – you know, what, what, is the, what does the playoff picture look like? You know, last year they, they added in that extra, extra playoff spot as well. So, you know, I, I think if the Bengals are kind of in the hunt, at least – in the middle of the season, late in the season, I think that bodes well for Zach Taylor. I think if you're seeing a lot of growth and improvement from your most important and young players, Joe Burrow, T Higgins, whoever these rookies are, I I think the important thing though, too, John, and I know a lot of people will will chalk it up maybe to player speak, but you tweeted it out a little bit. We heard about it on the interview from Mike Daniels. He, a guy like that is really backing Zach Taylor. And I, it sounds like a lot of people in that locker room are really backing Zach Taylor and, and the vision that he is trying to create in, in Cincinnati. So it's just a matter of, will the Bengals let him see that through? And I think they will. If there's, you know, if, if we're seeing a season that's seven wins or so this season, I think, I think you're going to let, you know, I think they're going to let him see it through, you know, another, another year or so. He needs to make it out of the first two months with like more wins than he's had in the past couple of years. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I mean, yeah. he, if he's, if he does start like a two and five or two and six yeah. and, and they have like a week eight by I mean, I would be expecting him to get his walking papers at that right. point. Like, right. like his seat is scorching hot. And I think this is why in part that chase is probably the pick because they can see that, you know, the offense line is, is decent enough and we can add it later in the draft when the value is there, but Jamar chase replacing AJ green in that role. It just makes the, the team better for right now. And while that may not be the exact process that you want, 
in the draft, it makes sense for a coaching staff that knows they're all of their jobs are on the line right now. And like Zach Taylor is not going to, is not going to make it out of this year with less than like four or five wins. Like he's had in in the past couple of years, they need results and they know that implementing chase in this offense with a second round or third on offensive alignment starting at right guard, that would probably get them further than Panay Sewell and a giant question mark at receiver because as we've seen, you know, having that receiver is incredibly value is incredibly valuable. And Duke Tobin and the Bengals know that having AJ Green for the past eight years when he was healthy. So I think that is along with the with the mindset. And also it kind of answers this question. They need results quickly. And I think they're going to take the, the, the approach that best uh, accomplishes that. The Bengals say what you will, but the Bengals have given Zach Taylor the uh, a lot of rope to either pull the team out of mediocrity and you know out of out of really below average play or to or to hang himself with it right i mean it's it, they they allowed two really really big forays into free agency in back to back seasons they let him pick quote unquote his quarterback and everybody's quarterback Joey B uh number 1 overall they've got a number n- number 5 overall pick and they kind of said look man we you you've got what six wins the last two seasons, and we're we're spending money now. You've you've had high picks. We're gonna let you do your thing, but you know, and we're 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 doing we're doing things out of our comfort zone, so to speak. And we're we're gonna give you all this leeway, but at some point that that rug's gonna be pulled out from under you if you aren't performing. And it could be this year, but I, I do think that we're we will see some some solid improvement. I don't, I don't necessarily expect a a playoff team or anything like that this year, but I do think that this is going to be a much more competitive team. I think there's, they've shored up some areas, even if it's short-term answers, like on the offensive line, I think they're, they've put some band-aids on some spots and then hopefully they can supplement those with people that they are going to groom into future starters. Before we get into more questions, we'll be here a little bit longer. Just want to remind everybody to subscribe to our show and our podcast channel wherever you get your podcast, whether it's our YouTube channel where you get our stuff or Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, whether it's on the audio streamers of your choice, iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the major ones. Subscribe to the channel, get our show, get Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk and Orange is the New Black. Some really cool stuff, if I do say so myself, has been coming out over the past month plus, uh, ramping up for, for draft coverage, and we appreciate the support from everybody there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to go here, John, and this is not one that's, 
I guess, overly visible on some of the other ways we've said to get in touch with us. But Tony Kovitz uh, it, it actually responded to the Cincy Jungle Twitter post here. Um, you said that, we both said that in all likelihood, it appears that Jamar Chase is going to be the pick at number five. He writes, I would like to pose a question to you and fans alike. If Jamar Chase never played with Joe Burrow at LSU, would everyone still be so high on him? He is an excellent receiver, but six foot wideouts are a dime a dozen. Kyle Pitts is a game changer and will dominate. And Sewell is a monster. Well, we can safely say that Tony is not team chase uh, based on, (laughs) based on that one there. I, I think, look, I, I think more Bengals fans are aware of who Jamar Chase is, how he performed because of the way that they played together at LSU and the stats that they put up at LSU. I think that that, that awareness level is higher just in general. But I do think that the athletic profile and the fact that the Bengals have multiple needs at wide receiver. I mean, I, I still think that this would this guy would be on the Bengals uh, on Bengals fans' radar on the Bengals' radar at number five, whether or not he played with Joey B at LSU. Uh, it really is the height. Like it's so stupid, but it really is just the height. Like maybe as someone who's five ten, but is actually five eight, claims he's five ten. Like maybe <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it's the the like the the what is it called the Napoleon syndrome or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like people don't think Jamar Chase is rare because he's only six foot. Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown, Stefan Diggs. Those are PFF's top four receivers last year in terms of receiving grade. Not a single one of them is above six one. Like this isn't like Matt Waldman explained this really well on the underdog fantasy podcast. Like the NFL went through a phase and NFL teams went through a phase where they were just eyeing these 6'4", 6'5", receivers, and they were overdrafting these guys based off of size because you had the Julio Joneses and the A.J. Greens and and whatever, you know, dominating like a certain part of the NFL, and teams wanted to emulate that. The, the game evolves so quickly, and it's not just about size. Like Jamar Chase, maybe six foot. He plays taller than that, first of all. He's got a 41-inch vertical, and he mm-hmm. never loses a jump ball situation. But because he doesn't, quote-unquote, look the part, People don't think he's that rare of a prospect when in reality, we don't see every single year a player who's objectively a top 10 player with tape and has 1A athleticism and 1A production. All three of those things in one prospect, we haven't seen that in multiple years in the draft. I think Tony Pauline of Pro Football Network said, like, Chase is his fourth ranked wide receiver since 2003 with only like Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, and Roy Williams ahead of him. He's a rare prospect and it sucks that he's not being labeled that because he's only six foot. Yeah. The high, like you said, some of the athletic, the facets of the athletic profile kind of make up for him not being a six foot four type of guy, an AJ green type of build, if you will. And I mean, there's the, it's, it's like you said, I, I just shake my head a little bit at the height thing. I mean, if, the tape has spoken for itself and look, the Cincinnati Bengals and their offense and Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow. I mean, they have an idea as to what they want out of their wide receivers. They want guys who can win contested catches. They have a quarterback who excels at tight window throws and can fit passes into areas that a lot of other quarterbacks cannot. 
They've got a guy in T Higgins who is also a, a uh, you know, contested catch type of guy. And, I mean, that's what they want out of their, out of their wide receivers. They were hoping to get that out of AJ green last year. It did not work out. And so now they need to, to bring a guy in who excels in a lot of these areas in the facets of the athletic profile that we saw at his pro day workout that speaks to playing bigger than the size. I mean, it really does the vertical jump and the broad jump and all that kind of stuff along with the tape that speaks to that. So, you know, again, for me, I, I like a lot of the options up top, the three big options that, that are talked about, namely the two big ones that are talked about, Chase and Sewell. I like I like what the Bengals have in terms of options at number five, and I, I really think that Jamar Chase is, is head and shoulders above a lot of the – all of the wide receivers in this class and is one of the better ones that has come out in recent memory. So where, where are we going next, John? Your choice. Uh, let's go to the YouTube comment section. Josh Whited from a couple minutes ago. He's asking basically about – you know, how deep are the wide receiver and offensive line positions and if that's going to make their decision in the first round. And I think this is an interesting question to pose because it's not just about like just the, the basic wide receiver offensive line designations. There are specific types of players at both positions that are really deep in this draft. And for, I think it's part of why the Bengals would prefer to go wide receiver with Chase in the first round is because yeah, there's a lot of receivers who are going to get picked in rounds two, three, and four, but not a lot of them fit the type of receiver that the Bengals need. And I think that's what makes Chase more exclusive and more valuable in, in this specific class because a lot of those guys in the second and third round, you know, you got Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, maybe Rashad Bateman. Like those guys are mainly slot receivers. And the, the guys who play on the outside, they don't have that burst and explosion that, that a guy like Chase does. So, yeah, this receiver class is deep, but it's mainly comprised of guys that the Bengals really already have. Are the big body guys who can win contested catch situations or guys who don't have a lot of experience playing that in that X spot playing on the outside. And with the offensive line, it's almost a similar situation where, yeah, it's a deep offensive line class, but there aren't a lot of true prototype tackles that you see in Panay which also makes him an exclusive commodity in this mm-hmm. class. And when you get to the second round, a lot of those guys who are, are going to be available, they're mainly guards or they project better to be guard, right? And I think that is what keeps Panay Sewell in the conversation up until the draft. But because the Bengals have a more definite need of receiver than tackle right now, it might make them lean one way or the other. Good point about the, you know, the, the tackles that may translate better to guard in this class. And I think there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. And there are probably teams that view, you know, maybe those small school guys we talked about on Wednesday. There's a guy I really like out of USC, Elijah Vera Tucker. He's a guy that's tackle slash guard, right? I mean, he's kind of a guy that a lot of people think he's, he's a guard. Maybe in the future you can groom him to be tackle, but a lot of those types of players. And like you said, that is why a Sewell is a guy who, who, by the way, in case you hadn't read, he has been specifically working out at both tackle spots in case a team, whoever picks him, asks him to play either spot. He he is willing or, I guess, working to do both. But, yeah, I mean, he's he is kind of the proto prototype of the class. High ceiling guy because of his age and, and athleticism and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Hard to, hard to disagree. And, I, like I said – Earlier, I, I think the tea leaves are saying it's it's going to go one way for and, and make some people happy at number five and others maybe not so much, but we'll see what happens. Let's uh, was there something in the comment section that we this was a good one. 
depressed Bengals fan in the live Cincy Jungle chat. How do you guys feel about our defense? Is it better than last year, the same or worse? Um, well, you hope it's better. And I think you <laughs> hope it's better because uh, the fact that the, the Bengals are getting so many guys back from injury. You got DJ Reader coming back from injury. Trey Waynes, who didn't even play a snap last year. You hope that he comes back, but you lost William Jackson. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a, well, you lost this guy, but you brought in this guy. Uh, you're getting this guy back, but you lost this guy. So I, I would like to think that at a minimum, it's a push, but I do, I do like some of the moves in terms of Mike Hilton, Larry Ogunjobi, even if they are, you know, some of them are short-term answers. I do like those. I'm a little worried about edge pass rush. I like what they're kind of doing on the interior defensive line, even though Geno Atkins sadly is no longer with the team. I like I like some of the options that they're potentially giving themselves inside, but I worry about the edge rush. And the pass rush has to be a, an emphasis for this unit, John. They really need to come out of this draft with someone who can give them a boost on the edge in terms of a pass rush. Like that's so critical because right now they, they just don't have it. Like Trey Hendrickson, I know that's what they believe he can become, but until he is that, it's a major question mark. As good as Sam Hubbard is, that's not really the player that he is, right? Like they've gotten younger and they've gotten more, they've been able to acquire more depth at certain positions. And that's obviously a good thing. And like you said, they're hoping to get back some guys from injury, but it's usually the case every year, right? You know, the Bengals are always going to be better than last year because they suffered so many injuries. And until they somehow make it through a year completely uninjured, then that's always going to be the case. But I think they're younger, they're more athletic, but they still have work to do on the defensive line. Um, if they, can't consistently win with four they're gonna have to get creative and hope that their secondary doesn't burn out like they need another great year added out of jesse bates that's something we're not really going to talk about that much but it has to be asked like can jesse bates keep up this level of play because for how good he was last year obviously the defense was hard to keep up with him and it's going to take another herculean effort if the defense kind of falls flat you know for jesse bates is his impact to kind of be realized in, in that. So hopefully he can keep up that pace, especially when they're probably going to give him an extension, but it, it just seems like right now, unless they you know strike gold in the draft and acquire like a couple pass rushers, they're kind of treading water with about the same as last year, even, even with getting some guys back. Before you pick the next one, John, we'll be here just a couple more minutes to field. Uh, we've got, we got a lot uh, come through on, the, the OBI line and all kinds of stuff. So we appreciate it. We're going to try and get to as many as we can. We'll be here just a couple more minutes. But the one dynamic, you mentioned Jesse Bates, the whole safety, you know, I, I know we have talked about early on when the Bengals brought in Von Bell, there was this idea that the Bengals were going to have Jesse Bates, Sean Williams and Von Bell out there all at the same time and kind of doing some, some fun things with those three. Well, Sean Williams barely played on defense last year. He is now gone and the Bengals brought in a guy, Ricardo Allen. So I don't know now if that's going to be, you know, Ricardo Allen's kind of a tweener piece in terms of uh, safety. He's played some slot. So now I'm interested to see that dynamic as to what the Bengals do. We know Von Bell is a better player closer to the line of scrimmage and and helps out and run support. He did get better in pass coverage as the year went on, had a couple of huge plays for the, for the team in some of their biggest games. But I I would be interested to see what happens to support. Like you said, not, not put so much on Jesse Bates um, at the safety position. I'm, I'm interested to see what the Bengals do there with that, 
with the that trio. Right. So I'm going to go back to James Hawley here in Facebook. He's asking a question about the front office. Do you guys think that the Blackburns are really trying to set up a winning culture or just getting fans' hopes up? For starters, they're always going to try to get your hopes up. Like, that's their job. <laughs> they're trying to generate fan interest so that they can fill those stadiums. Like, I mean, that's that's just a given. But I, I don't think teams purposely not – they don't try to establish a winning culture. Like, I think – I don't know, man. Like, in, in from 2011 to 2015, like, do you think that the Bengals – they had a winning culture just because they were winning or like how, how can we, how can we measure that based off of what they say rather than what they do and what the actual results generated? There's, there's an argument to be made about not doing enough when the winning's not there and you're consistently losing, you're not doing enough to kind of improve the situation. Maybe that creates some type of a stigma, but I mean, I, I don't think they're not trying, right? I, I think that they value stability and continuity, which is why they're keeping Zach Taylor for year three, even though he only has six wins to his name. But, you know, the results speak for themselves. And until those results get there, we're going to continue get, to get these questions. But, I mean, this is the Blackburn show now. Like, Mike Brown is still still there. He still has an office, but he does not have as much to do with the day-to-day operations as the, as the Blackburn couple and obviously Elizabeth now who's in year two of her, of her tenure. So yeah, I think there is an attempt to set it up there and obviously they're always going to try to get your hopes up. The Brown family, the Blackburn family, they want to win. They've said it a number of times. I know if I know fans like to laugh at it, they like to scoff at it, et cetera, but um, you know, they, they like, they want to win. They want to bring Super Bowls to Cincinnati. They want. They want that. They've said that publicly. Um, you know, maybe maybe not as many times as a lot of fans would like, but I mean, they want to win. It's a matter of you know, do they do they know how to construct a roster in order to do so? Are they hiring the right coaches? Are they hiring enough scouts? Are they hiring enough uh, support staff to ensure that everything is stable within the organization and kind of the tent poles to create a championship team are there. I go back, John, to a, a couple of weeks ago when we spoke to Richmond Webb. Do you remember what he said in those years when he was with the team? It was 001 and 02, right before Marvin Lewis got there. He he said he would go out with, with some of these guys after a game, and they would talk about how they have all these talented guys, and for some reason they would get down on a game on the scoreboard, and they just let things snowball on them. And they and and they couldn't dig themselves out of the the scoreboard hole, so to speak, and that's just what plagued them pre Marvin. Now Marvin helped quell that quite a bit, but there were times, especially in important games and in the big primetime games, you saw the deer in the headlights type of thing. And I think what the Bengals are hoping is that Zach Taylor is the guy to kind of carry that torch from Marvin Lewis eliminate that kind of snowball effect. And then of course you bring in a winner like Joe Burrow who can kind of have the boomer size and Ken Ken Anderson effect on the team, carry the team on his haunches and say, we're not going to be mediocre. We're not going to lose these primetime games. I'm going to carry us to, to win. So, you know, I, I I know that they want to win. I'm, I think that they've invested in some positions that they think they have the right people there. And, you know, the results haven't spoken for themselves yet, but, hopefully that starts changing this year. That's kind of my take. Again, like if you're so used 
to those results in 2001, 2002, if like, if you don't finish games, if you don't consistently do the right things, then it, it's hard to overcome that. And that, that's, that's the importance of what Marvin Lewis did to realize that, Hey, this is, this is possible in a post Paul Brown life. You know, the Bengals can achieve some level of success and that, that is his impact. And that impact is still being realized to, to this day, even though people don't want to want to recognize that it is possible to achieve success in this organization under this ownership. It, it Unfortunately, they just have to be really lucky. And I think they're counting on a lot of that luck, but also to get the right you know people in the building. That's why they've went out and, and been drafting a lot of team captains. And that's why they invested so much in Joe Burrow. They're putting his face everywhere in Cincinnati for this exact reason, to hope that he is the guy to kind of, catalyst this whole effort into being something special and they still believe in Zach Hiller to do that and until he proves that he can't that's that's what it's going to be so we've got Michael on the line here I believe uh Michael how are you good fellas how are y'all good what what's on your mind today I just have a quick question man uh I really respect both y'all's opinions man I think y'all do great work thank Uh, you my only opinion or question was if, if you could only fix one in the draft this year, you couldn't fix both of them, but for sure you could fix one of them. Offensive line or pass rushers, obviously with Chase being the first overall pick, which side do you go? If you could go back to that lineman in the second and third, but pass on the pass rushers this year with it being a, I guess I would say a weaker pass rushing draft, would you do that or is it uh, necessary? to try to maybe get one offensive lineman in the second. And then if you, if, if you take the lineman in the second, then you 100% have to go pass rushing in the third. I just think if you go back-to-back lineman in the second and third, you're bound to hopefully at least hit on one of those guys. And then your offensive line maybe isn't set, but it's gotten tremendously better. So has your wide receiver position. I'll hang up and listen, guys. Thank All right. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Uh, first of all, I appreciate it. I apologize if I was not on, on mute when I answered that call. I, I thought I was, but maybe I was not. Um, but, uh, it, it's again, one of the, the, the issue of there, there are so many roster holes and there are some areas that just are clearly needing at least one extra quality player to help the group out pass rush edge rusher is one. And then of course, offensive line is another wide receiver is another, I don't know, man. I, I, I guess I would lean. I, I think the question was, you know, if the Bengals go offensive line in the second round, you know, do you forego pass rush in the third to get another offensive lineman? I, I would, I would probably go pass rush in the third. If someone's there worthy of the pick. Well, you know, before the draft, that is the ideal plan, right? To hit on the most positions with, you know, the, the right picks in order to improve the team overall. Hey, shout out Malik Wright. What up, man? Um, I, I think that is the plan, you know, going into the draft. But plans change when the draft actually happens and certain players get picked and the board shifts according to what the other 31 teams do. That's that's what it is every single year. That's why you see some surprise picks because all of a sudden, you know, after this certain position group gets, you know, pillaged from other teams ahead of you, another position group becomes more attractive because those are the best players available. So like we, we talked about the offensive line class this year be- in the second round, because th- the odds are there's going to be a really good offensive lineman available in the second round for them to pick. And then he can potentially start at right guard. And then if it so happens like, yeah, th- they could be targeting a defensive lineman with that third round pick. 
But if there continues to be quality offensive linemen available and they are at the top of the board, there's no reason why they shouldn't you know, do that. There's no reason why they shouldn't double down at that position because they do need, they still need offensive linemen. Like you should not take players just for their positions. Like if, if you do that consistently, you're going to end up kicking yourself in the head you know, years later, because at the end of the day, you should just pick the, the best players that, that mm-hmm. are there and you should obviously prioritize which positions you need, but you don't want to just take positions for the sake of taking positions because unfortunately you're going to look back in years later and say, why didn't I just take th- this player? He's so much better than the other player. You know, I know I needed a player at this position, but if, if the draft happens like that and there's just still quality offensive linemen there in round three, I think you just have to boot defensive line t- to day three in that case. I agree with you. I just, you know, again, it's it's who is worthy of that pick. And I think if there is a, a, an edge player that, you know, is better than than the off. Unfortunately, when you're a, a team that is in a rebuild, you know, your first couple of drafts potentially are a little bit more need based than best player available base. I know I know that's not the, the ideal situation and how a team necessarily should always operate in a in a draft but unfortunately you know sometimes there are just clear deficient areas on a roster that you need to get a good player at and you know if if for some reason you're at the top of round three and you think by mid round three this player is not going to be there and they are at at or near the top of your board you know uh, I I guess I get that rationale a little bit I want to I want to go back here John and I know um, we've got we're going a little long and we've got maybe a couple more that we want to get to but I just want to talk about this one. Um, you guys keep hyping up Frank Pollock, but did you see how many times Sam, I'm assuming Darnold got hit? I understand the rationale here and I am big time team Sewell. I am also team chase as well, but look at the offensive weapons that Sam Darnold had on that team, especially last year. There were not a lot of offensive weapons to be able to get space and create plays for the quarterback. So yes, the offensive line had some issues, but I think also a lack of weapons and guys not getting open is part of the issue. Am I wrong, John? Everything is part of the issue. Like it, it, it's the offensive line is not solely responsible for how many times a quarterback gets hit. Like you, you can look at the, the data from Pro Football Focus, and they will tell you that the majority of quarterback pressures that's on the quarterback. So if a quarterback gets hit a lot, obviously if the offensive line does not pass the eye test like it was for the Bengals, then that that's a problem and they should address it. But like this was a thing with Andy Dalton where the offensive line was fine and he would just freeze in the pocket and get happy feet and then take these unnecessary hits or just take these unnecessary pressures because he didn't get the ball out as quick as he should have. He didn't make the proper reads down the field. And that led to those problems. Like with Burrow, Burrow is always going to stand tall in the pocket and he's always going to hold on to the ball for as long as he can. He's always going to try to extend plays. He's always essentially going to make his offensive line worse than what it actually is. So there's an argument of, do you want to invest all these assets in the offensive line, even though Burrow is the guy like Mahomes who's going to dance around there and try to make something happen and unfortunately take a little bit more hits than the other stoic quarterbacks out there. So it's not all on the offensive line coach. Frank Pollock is a tremendous offensive line coach. He got incredible production out of a rookie, Mekhi Becton, last year, who no one really thought was close to being ready to play at that level last year at, at left tackle. He got He consistently gets the most out of the personnel that he had. And he did that in 2018 when he had Bobby Hart and Alex Redmond starting for the first year together in 2018. And even Billy Price had his best year at center 
that year as well. So Frank Pollock is not solely responsible for keeping Joe Burrow clean, even though that's in his job description. It's so much more than just what the offense line coaches and even what the offense line talent is. It comes down to the quarterback. And like you said, it comes down to receivers getting open and the quarterback having the trust to throw to those receivers early. And you got to remember, Joe Mixon was absolutely revved up at the announcement of Frank Pollock coming back. So obviously there is an effect in terms of the run game. John, you know what time it is? It's Terrell time. It's Terrell time. Terrell, what's going on, buddy? We, we heard doing? from your cousin How Andre you a little bit earlier. How you doing, bud? Oh, I, oh yeah, yeah. I, I told him, yeah, he he, uh, he he been a long time calling too, though. Uh, he, he know he know his knowledge too, though. Uh, but uh, I was I, I just gotta say uh, that 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 Mike Tom that Mike Daniels uh, interview uh, yesterday the other day, man. That, that was a plus. Oh, thanks, man. I mean, every everything he was been saying about the division and the tradition and the players is I've been preaching to like young young guys and oh we're trying to learn football. I'm just trying to like the tradition just because basically what I'm trying to say is that some play, uh, some things in the NFC they be playing tag in the in the in the AFC and especially in North man we 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 knocking heads off. We hate each other <laughs> at the end of the day. And, 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 and the players and the, and the, and the coaches got to know it. And that's what, that's all I, that's all I've been want to know. And, uh, and I just got to say, uh, to Will, man, oh my goodness, man. He, he, I seen he, I seen he block two people at once. I mean, clearing out lanes by himself. You're talking, you're talking about Penny Sewell? You're talking about Sewell? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, it just, it's just a hard fight, but it, I, this, at the end of the day, this I feel it's, it's, if uh if we lose out on Sewell and do get chased, I feel like it's more replacements and alignment than more replacements with receiver. And that's my question for y'all to try to figure out. And at the same time, I think and my and at the and uh, I'm sorry, uh Nixon, you know I, I we hope we know we're gonna have a good year or whatever, but he gonna get nicked up, and I'm not putting all my eggs into P. Ram and Travion. So I want somebody else. I don't know about y'all, but and that's all I gotta say. All right, we'll take it easy, Terrell. We'll take your question, and actually, one of your questions ties into another we received in terms of offensive line options at the t- at the top around two. So thanks, buddy. Always good hearing from you, and uh, tell your cousin what's up as well. Good to hear from him too earlier today. Have a good one. Okay, you too. So we did get a question. I can't remember where it was. I saw it earlier. I'll try and feed it up here, but it, it does play into what Terrell said. Basically, the ideal options at in round two. One guy I want to watch a little bit more of because he's really intriguing. He is a Pac-12 guy, so I'm showing a little bit of homer homerism there. But he opted out of last year, I think, and then he was hurt uh, on the first play of 2019. That's Walker Little, the Stanford oh tackle. Yeah. Um, He's a guy that has a lot of skills, a lot of talent, but there's just not a lot of tape to evaluate because he's just he's been hurt and then he opted out. So um, I guess that would be a guy. I, I don't know that I'm comfortable at the top of round two, based on base. You know, essentially having not two years of football <laughs> to watch from this guy. But I mean, the the skills are there, the talent level is there. That's a guy that I, you know, if he's maybe there at the top of round three or something like that, maybe that's an option. But a name that not a lot of people are talking about along with the Leatherwoods and, and whatnot. But if you had kind of an ideal situation, say the Bengals go chase at five, there are 
you know, Radoons and Leatherwood and Miners and, you know, maybe, maybe Little as well. Who were, who's the guy where you go, I, I kind of want the Bengals to draft this guy and for what reason? Well, with Walk with Walker Little specifically, that's a, he's he's a nice little trivia question answer. Like in the same recruiting class as Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda, mm. Alex Leatherwood, Devonta Smith, he was the number one prospect or the number one recruit in the recruiting class. So I mean, who, who knows like where he would have been drafted had he not missed the last two years and had he not gotten injured in 2019? But in terms of offense line options at the top at the top of the second round there's an article on Cincy jungle that got put out there a couple of weeks ago so a little shameless plug there but like you yeah yeah like like the guys that i would target personally um landon dickerson for one i, I think he's a, a surefire first round pick who's going to fall probably because of medical issues and that might scare off the Bengals a little bit but He's legitimately a first-round player that might be available in the second round. Samuel Cosme, Alex Leatherwood, Tevin Jenkins, maybe. I doubt he makes it out of the first round. But, you know, we keep listing all these guys. And, like, one of these guys is going to be – one of these guys is going to be there, and it might not be the guy that we're expecting to be there. Like, that's just kind of how the draft plays out. Like, we, we, we have an idea of who's going to go where, but until that actually happens, we don't know. We had no idea that this time last year that Denzel Mims – and Josh Jones are both going to last to the third round. Those were like two the the targets for the Bengals at the top of the second round when they were both available. And like, oh, who are they going to take? They take T. Higgins, and then like, oh, maybe they can get one of the other in the third round, and then they pass on them again. And both guys are still there on the board. We don't know where these guys are going to go. We just have a rough idea based off of the rumors and stuff and what teams are interested in them. But Cosme, Leatherwood, Dickerson, I think those would be my top three guys there, and. I'll, like I and I want to just say for the record because I know Terrell talked about Sewell, we all love Panay Sewell. He's going to be a very, very, very good player. I know there's been talk like you know th- there's somewhat like risk with him because he's 20 and he's played in the Pac-12 and whatever these other subjective things. We know he's going to be really good. There's a reason why he's in this conversation. I have nothing but great things to say about Sewell. He's a fantastic player and he should be for years to come. And if there wasn't a Jamar Chase in this class, he would be the easy pick. But there is a Jamar Chase in this class. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I put, pin this comment here. Chase or Sewell both a win. I mean, the, the Bengals are in a win-win position at, at five. They they are poised to take one of a couple of blue chip prospects here, it would seem, unless there's some weird situation where those quarterbacks don't go in front of them, but that doesn't seem to be the case. I I agree with you. I do I am intrigued by Walker Little, but I, I think that that is more of a project just because of the lack of of playing time and film and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, that that's more of a late day two. Maybe even he's a guy because of medical stuff and all of that. You know, maybe that's uh, even he lasts around four. Who knows? But I, I am in agreement with you in the offensive line situation where I like the idea of a player who has played multiple spots. That's why Cosme, I, th- I think he's played all over Texas line. That, that intrigues me. A guy that you think you can start at guard, maybe that's a Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan, you could start him at guard, kick him out, and develop it, uh, develop him at tackle later. Um, you know some of these interior options as well. If you can get, you know, if it's guard center, I, I would look for versatility and effectiveness in that versatility. You know, not just a guy who could play positions. And okay, well he's he's decent here, but he's re- he's really good here, but he's serviceable there. Like a guy like Cosme, he played pretty well to my to my remembrance. He played pretty well across multiple spots on the line, and that's that's appealing to me. I know some of the measurables aren't there and whatnot, but that's that's an appealing option to me and a guy that 
can can plug and play at a couple of different spots. And if you do have an emergency, maybe you feel good about him spot starting at another area in which you didn't really envision it when you drafted him. But um, that's uh, that, that's a good point there. John, I, I think we'll get out of here. Is there is there any other are there any other questions that are catching your eye before we pop on out of here? We tried to get text and call and Cincy Jungle posts and Facebook, YouTube, all that. So we tried to get all all the bases covered there. But was there one that you wanted to get to before we hop on out of here? Uh, there's not one that's really striking my eyes like a good one to finish out. So I'm just kind of try like rapid fire here. There's a question okay. about Trey Smith. Very good, very good player. I think he'll go sometime either in the late second, early third. So that's a third round target for the Bengals. Yeah, great athlete. Um, yeah, Trey Smith will be a Pro Bowl within four years. There's a good argument for that. He's he was another five star prospect or recruit, and he tested extremely well and he played well in Tennessee. I think him and Wyatt Davis are in a similar um, boat where they were both really good guards entering the 2020 season. They were projected to be potential first round picks. And then they experienced some struggles in a COVID-stricken season. I, I know White Davis had struggled with injuries, and I don't know if Trey Smith had something along the lines with that as well. But I think both of those guys, um, they may or may not fall to the third round. And say like the Bengals take like a tackle type in the second round, I think when the third round comes around and they're still potentially looking at offensive line, I think either White Davis or Trey Smith, just guys with those you know high-class pedigrees coming from you know big programs, I think those would be actual – legitimate options for the Bengals in round three um a quick one to rapid fire one if the Bengals go chase at number five because of the history of burrow and chase together this is a comment from 740 area code that was texted to us just recently um perhaps there is a higher likelihood that chase if a successful pro will re-sign with the club to remain with joe burrow and maybe that is something down the line the Bengals, keep in mind i don't think they're looking five four or five years down the line necessarily but i guess that is something that maybe could play into the <laughs> into the team chase number five pick i don't know if you have any thoughts on that i thought that was an interesting little nugget that was sent to us well i mean if you're looking for advantages to keep guys around for maybe under what they could get on the open market. And I'm sure, you know, keeping the pairing of two guys who played in college together for the next 10 years is an enticing one. I, I think if, if Chase feels like that, you know, if things go well in the, the next five years that, you know, he wants to keep, you know, this going, he, he wants to keep running it back, then maybe that's how they can, you know, get him to sign an AJ Green type deal. We don't even know what that's going to look like in five years. You know, the cap is going to go to like 3 billion in a couple of years or, or so. So, these, these salaries are going to go up and the Bengals are going to have more money to spend and, you know, prices are going to be relative to that. So, I mean, it, it is a precedent that has been set with the Bengals. They like to pay receivers and it would, it would make sense why they want to keep those two around. Um, any, any thoughts on this one? We've lost a lot of our quote heroes lately to cut wave release. How does it affect the team's legacy moving forward? Will Andy, Gio, Gino, AJ, et cetera, want to be remembered as Bengals or football players? I personally, this was a, a tweet we got. I personally think that they those guys had a good experience with the Bengals. Um, maybe, maybe not in the last year or so with Zach Taylor showing them out of the door. But I, I think those guys had good experiences overall and sh- had a lot of success, a couple of which have Hall of Fame-type resumes to their name with the Cincinnati Bengals. So I would assume they would like to be remembered as Bengals. I assume a couple of them will probably be – a couple of those names will be in the ring of honor at some point down the road. But your thoughts on that? This, this seems very much like an old-fashioned question. Like, I, I don't know if, if that's a thing – 
that like players desire anymore. Like AJ Green was like was on that level for like ten years. Like I want to remain with one team for the, my entire career. Mm-hmm. And now he's with the Arizona Cardinals. Like situations change, and especially nowadays when you know player leverage has never been higher. Rightfully so, they should have all the all the leverage in the world. Like I think it's mainly just about players maximizing their opportunities and and and, and their future and potential earnings. And sometimes that doesn't involve staying with one team and, and being loyal to a certain team because no matter what teams are never going to be hundred percent loyal to their own players. Like the Bengals definitely proved that this year. Gio was such as was a quote unquote surprise, even though there was definitely logic behind it. But the fact that they went out and, you know, freed up cap space and, and made that positional spending like more reasonable for, for the running back position. Like the fact that they went out and did that, it spoke volumes to them evolving into this modern age of team building and roster construction. So I don't know what I can't speak for those players, but I, I think just now when, you know, it's just normal for, for players to just go for where they get paid the most and where they get the best opportunities. I, I don't know if that's a thing that players really think about now as much as they used to. Good point. I hope the Bengals honor some, if not all those guys, the right way going forward. It sounds like they're headed in the right direction to do so. I think that's going to do it for us. This might be the longest listener questions live yeah. that we have had in existence. So uh, thank you, John. I, I didn't know that we were going to go this long, but we got a lot of questions sent our way and we got through a lot. We heard from a lot of cool people as well. Uh, sorry if we didn't get to yours. We tried to get to as many as we can on all kinds of different platforms. Keep sending them our way. I do have to give an ap- a public apology here to um, – it was Dan in Tennessee. Uh, he had been sending us a few, and we we never got to him. Unfortunately, didn't send one today. We were trying to really make an emphasis to get you on on the air here, Dan. So send, send one. We'll get you on in the future. We apologize we didn't get to yours the past few. But before we get out of here again, just want to, I'm going to share this here. Just want to remind everybody to take advantage of the partnership we have with Symbol. You can see there, symbol.app slash OPI, uh, OBI rather, S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P backslash OBI. And you can get a $10 deposit bonus when you sign up there. So thanks to them for partnering with us. And thanks to you, John, for all of your insight, your great, great stuff, all of our callers. Um, have a good weekend, bud. I know this was a long one, but a really good one. So have a good weekend, man. Have a good weekend as well. We got a lot coming next week as the draft kind of ramps up. And also we got some potentially some Jersey content that we'll be showing maybe. you guys since jungle.com. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Take it easy, everybody. Thanks for all your questions. We'll see you next time.